We're continuing a series called Spirit-Filled Fruit. And today we're going to talk about a subject that everyone loves. And guess what spiritual fruit we're on? The, uh, the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit of patience. How many of you guys love patience, right? You guys are glad you showed up today. Yeah, I think in our microwave, 30-second real self-checkout, video-on-demand, abbreviated text, maybe it's something we could use in our society today, right? We just can't seem to wait on anything, right? We've got fast food. We've got everything. We just want to somehow avoid this idea of patience, and yet it's a godly idea. Now, how many of you guys just admit you don't really like the word patience, and you're careful to not pray for patience, right? I mean, it's like, like, yeah. So if you don't like the word patience, let me give you the New King James translation of the word patience. Long-suffering. <laughs> long-suffering. Now let me give you the definition of long-suffering. Having or showing patience in spite of troubles especially those caused by other people. Could anybody use a little bit of long-suffering today, right? Now, some of us are evaluating right now, and I just want you to evaluate, like on a scale of 1 to 10, where's your long-suffering at? Like 10 being the best, like I'm really good at it, and then 1, it's like I, I'm, I shouldn't even register on the scale. Just kind of in your own mind right now, like where are you at in your long-suffering? Some of you right now are like, I'm not even a medium-suffering. I may be a short-suffering, right? I'm not even close to long suffering. So what does this look like? Here's what I want you to know. When we think about this idea of patience and long suffering, we've got to look at what God does in this area towards us because I want you to catch this, that everything you need, God already has. Everything you need, God already has. And anything that God wants in us is already in him. And this is important because God doesn't ask you for something he's not. And God has an infinite supply of whatever we need. And so when we go to God uh, with something we need, he's always got what we need. All right. So God has this patience. What does it look like? Well, the Apostle Paul talks about this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. And Paul begins to say, he says, this, is a, a, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. And he could list off his resume of sins if he wanted to, to prove that. But he says, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display, here it is, his perfect patience. God has perfect patience patience towards us as an example to those who, would be, who were to believe in him for eternal life. God is perfect in his patience. Can anyone testify today that God has been patient with you before, right? I mean, so many times in our life we can think back, and I was even thinking back to when we started this church. You know, I was 28 years old. A group of us, we, we didn't know what we were doing, but we just said yes to God, and we had our, you know, our blind spots and our deficiencies and our immaturities, and yet God somehow risked even knowing that along the way we'd make mistakes, along the way we'd possibly hurt people, along the way we'd have to make course changes. And I wonder, why would God take that risk knowing all of these things? And it's because God is extremely patient with people. And that God always plays the long game. And I want you to know that in your life, God is playing the long game. 
It's not always just moment by moment, but he's playing the long game. And I want you to think about this even in a wider uh, scope of how God plays the long game. Because if we go to Galatians chapter 4, verse 3 through 5, it says this. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. But when the fullness of time, everybody say fullness of time. See, there's something about the fullness of time with God that there had to be a progression of events that happened for a fullness of time to come to pass. In the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. How many of you guys are thankful that we've been adopted into the family of God? But see, that didn't happen like that. That happened through the course of a fullness of time. And I want to just, you just think about this for a moment. Think of all the patience that God had to have with humanity for the fullness of time to come to pass. You see, this may blow your mind, but since God is omniscient, that's all-knowing. We know that God knows everything, the end from the beginning. There's no piece of knowledge that God can't, can't, that God doesn't know. There's never a time when God can learn things because God already knows everything. And anything to be learned, he's already, he already has, right? He knows it all. And so even before God created anything in this world, God knew that if he were to create Adam and Eve, that sin would enter into the world, that there would need to be a rescue plan, and that his son would have to die on the cross, rise from the dead to pay the price for our sins before he created anything, right? Now, just because God knows what's going to happen doesn't mean God causes all to happen, but still he knew it was going to happen, and from the foundations of the earth, he already had a rescue plan in place. But yet, because of the way it was to lay out and because of the way God gives us free will, that it had to take a fullness of time. See, God creates us with a free will because if he made us love him, it wouldn't be real love. And if he made us obey him, it wouldn't be true obedience. And so God sets this plan in place, but yet he's got to be patient with people along the way in order for the plan to come to fruition. You see, when all of humanity was off track, and the Bible says that every heart, every thought of their heart was only evil continually, he needed a Noah to rise up and say, I'll build a boat, even when there's never ever been any rain at all. I'll build a boat. He had to be patient waiting for a, a Noah. And then he had to be patient waiting for an Abraham who would say yes when even he didn't have any kids. And God says, you're going to be a father of many nations. He had to wait for somebody who was going to say, yes, I'll believe that, that my descendants will be as many as the stars in the sky or the sand in the sea, even when he didn't have any kids when he was old. He had to wait for somebody to say yes. And then when that nation got into slavery for 400 years and under the Egyptians, he had to wait for a guy who couldn't talk very well to be willing to say yes, a guy named Moses who was willing to say, yes, I'll go and confront Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And then he had to wait throughout centuries as this nation wavered back and forth, as they were seduced by idolatry, and as the Bible puts it, committed adultery with other idols before God. He had to wait patiently for prophets to be able to rise up and to speak truth against all of culture and against all odds to be able to speak truth and wait for prophets even to prophesy improbable, specific things about the coming of Christ down to very intimate details about exactly how Jesus would come to be able to say things that seemed crazy 
on the surface. He had to patiently wait. And then in the silence between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew, 400 years of silence, he had to wait for a young woman named Mary who would say yes to the crazy plan of God. And then he had to wait patiently. He needed a Joseph to be able to be very obedient in the midst of what seemed like a scandal. And do you realize that Joseph's obedience to go here at this time, to go here, to go to Nazareth, to go down to eat, to go to all these specific places, because of Joseph's obedience, he was fulfilling prophecy, one thing after the other, because of his obedience. And God had to be patient with humanity so that this fullness of time could actually happen. And now I want you to think about how patient God has had to be with humanity since that moment so that the gospel could get to you and to me. He needed apostles that were going to be faithful, even under persecution, that would, might even lead them to become martyrs, and many of them were, to die. He had to be patient with these early church fathers who were going to guard against heresy so that what you and I have today is the perfect, preserved word of God. He, I mean, think about through the dark ages, all of the people who had to keep the light on, these faithful saints throughout the dark ages. And then when things continued to go downward, he needed some people who would rise up like John Wesley and you know, George Whitfield, the Great Awakening One, and Charles Finney and Great Awakening Two. And, and then he needed some hippies in the 60s and 70s in the Jesus movement for that to spread throughout the United States, throughout Europe, and throughout Central America in order for the gospel to continue and for the power of God. He, he needed some faithful pastors and some faithful disciples. And how many of you guys know it took some praying parents and grandparents maybe even to get you to where you are today? That's a lot of patience that God has just for the gospel to get to you and to I. And what I'm saying in all of that is saying if God's patience can survive throughout centuries and millennia and throughout his patience with people and nations and the rise and fall of nations and leaders all the way just so the gospel can get to you, then here's what I want you to understand today that God's patience is big enough for whatever you're dealing with right now. What I'm saying is that exhausting God's patience is too big of a job for your sin. Your sin can't get it done. Your issues can't get it done. You're not going to be able to exhaust the patience of God because God has perfect patience. So now let's talk about patience. What is it? Well, what does it look like for the Holy Spirit to develop this fruit of patience in us? And here's point number one. Patience is having the same heart towards others that God has towards you. Now, before that scares us, <laughs> remember that everything you need, God already has. That whatever God asks to be in you is already in him. And then whenever you go to him, he always has what you need and he has an infinite supply of it. And so if, if patience is having the same heart towards others that God has towards us, then we have an amazing opportunity to yield to the Holy Spirit and allow him to develop this patience in us, right? All right, so to help us look like, to help us understand what this might look like in our life, give my wife Becca a big hand as she comes up. So it is an amazing example of God's highly developed sense of humor that I am right here talking to you guys about patience. Uh, 
I believe that I have something from the Holy Spirit to say today, but I also believe that God right now is pranking me. He is up in heaven, laughing behind his hand, watching me talk to you guys about patience. Um, several weeks ago, we were, my girls and I were in a drive-thru line, in the drive-thru line, and I'm just, I'm like, just going on. What is going on in there? How could it possibly take, it's a hamburger and fries. I mean, you know, I'm just going on and on, and the girls are just rolling their eyes in the back. And then there's silence for a minute, and I'm like, who's ready in a few weeks to hear your mom talk about patience? <laughs> and they laugh and laugh. And then yesterday, I was making toast for myself, and I finally just hit the cancel button. And my daughter's like, mom, that's not toast. And I'm like, it's warm bread. I just, I can't wait anymore for the toast. And then I said again, are you ready for this weekend for your mom to talk about patience? She laughed at me. But the funny thing is that I used to think I was a very patient person. I... When I was a teenager, I actually had a job teaching adults, tutoring adults in college algebra. Uh, they would come to this place that I worked for help, and I handled that very well. I used to think, I am so patient. I'm like, you know, I, I can just, I am so good at this. I'm such a patient person. And then I became a mom. And uh, yeah, right? And our first son, when he was about two, I actually have this written in his baby book, so he will never forget. Um, he dumped a basket full of folded laundry, he went to the bathroom all over my bed. He stuffed half a roll of toilet paper down the toilet, and he escaped outside all in a half an hour. Half an hour. And I think at that time, you know, I'm like in my early 20s, I think I just sat on the floor and cried for a while. And then we had three girls after that. We had four kids in the span of five years. And oh my gosh, talk about patience or the lack of patience. And then I started homeschooling. Anybody, any, any homeschooling moms in here? Um, oh my gosh, I mean, you know, there are so many times, I remember once I was teaching my son some kind of math, and he was just like, you know, he had gotten a problem wrong. And I'm like, yeah, you need to do this one again. He's like, that one's right, mom. And I'm like, no, that's, that's not right. He's like, no, that's right, this, this, is, this is right. And I'm like, well then show me your work. Well, I did it in my head. Okay, this, you know, guys, I taught college algebra. I knew it was wrong. This started a huge argument between him and I. And then I can't tell you how many times each of my five kids have sworn I never taught them something. Mom, you never taught me how to divide fractions. I have never seen a fraction before in my life. And I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? And then I just recently found out that one of my daughters has a Spotify playlist that's actually titled Songs to Annoy My Sisters With. <laughs> yeah. I actually think that one's kind of funny. That one didn't really try my patience very much. But so there are lots of opportunities to test our patience. You guys know this, your coworkers, your family members, your spouse, lots of opportunities to test your patience. So one, one synonym in the Bible for patience is slow to anger. Slow to anger. Think about those words. Exodus 34, 6 said, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This phrase this description God uses of himself, almost word for word, multiple times in the Bible. The idea that he is slow to anger, he wants us to get this. He wants us to understand that he's slow to anger. And so if he is slow to anger to us, just like Sean talked about, how much more should we be with the people around us? We have to be slow to anger. Last week, Sean talked about that gap. Do you guys remember? to shorten that gap between a thought that comes into your head and how long you let yourself meditate on that thought. You guys remember that? 
Well, I, would, I want to suggest a gap that we need to widen. And that is between something that happens to you and you responding to it, just like that. You, your temper flying, you're letting that anger build up. We need to widen that gap. Concentrate, practice on widening that gap. And that word practice is what I want to talk about just real quick for a minute. Because I think there's two times when we're tempted to be super impatient. And one are those things that just hit us and just makes us mad immediately. But the other thing are those things that you already know about. You know that your spouse the next, tomorrow morning is going to do this one thing you know, that just irritates you so much, or your kids are going to do that one thing, and you know it's coming. You know you're going to get triggered. It's all mental. It's so mental. And it's like, I think we get into this headspace where we think, well, that's, you know, I just have a quick temper. That's just me. It's just that one thing, and I just can't, I just can't, I can't, I can't. How many of you guys have caught yourself saying that in your head? I just, I can't, I can't do it. I can't handle it. So I, when I was in high school, I was kind of the math and science geek. I was not athletic at all. Uh, I did not consider myself athletic, anything, not even walking very fast. I mean, I just, I did not even consider myself athletic. And so when we got married and Sean started running, at first I didn't even consider it. Like, I'm, no, I'm not, I don't, I'm not a runner. I'm not going to run. I don't like running. But he kept, you know, you know, giving me this good example of him running and I'm having babies and pounding on pounds and... And so anyway, we have this treadmill, and I tried to get on it, and I would run for a little bit, and then I'd walk, and I'd run, and I'd just be like, I can't do it. I'm not a runner. I can't do it. And one day, a switch just flipped, and I'm like, I'm going to get on that treadmill, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run for 30 minutes, and I'm not going to stop. No matter how I feel, I'm not going to stop. And I did it. I threw up when I got off, <laughs> but I did it. And what that did, I remember it just like a light bulb going off, like it was mental. It was mental. I told myself I couldn't do it, but I just did it. And then, so we start running a little more, running a little more, and we've done several half marathons. <laughs> I, th I just think it's so funny. When you're training for a half marathon, you'll have like long runs and short runs. I don't know if anyone's ever done that before, but it's so funny how I would always get tired at exactly the same time. So like if I'm running seven miles that day, I would get tired about six and a half miles in. If I'm running two miles, I would get tired about a mile and a half in. Isn't that funny? I mean, it's just mental. You have to prove to yourself that you can do it. So what's my point? Next time that thing happens, pray. Pray for it. Well, pray for But pray that God will help you widen that gap. But also, prepare yourself. So the next time that happens, you can be a little more patient. And then you've proven to yourself that you can be patient in that area. And then the next time it happens, you can be a little more patient than you were before. And a little more and a little more. And I think this is one way that we can create that space for the Holy Spirit to enter in. And what you will discover is that as you step into that space, you will exhibit so much more patience than you ever thought possible because it's not your patience. It's not in your power. It's in his. So we need to open up that, that space, widen that gap for the Holy Spirit to move. All right, I've, I've been thinking about that concept as well in a little bit different way. James chapter 1, verse 19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So let me give you another way to think about patience. You know, we talk about patience being, you know, having the same heart towards others that God has towards us. 
Here's another way to think about patience. And this applies not just to relationships, although it does, but it applies to maybe decisions we have to make, opportunities that come in our life, following after call of God in our life, all of these things. And here it is. Patience is the ability to respond in God's timing. Patience is the ability to respond in God's timing. Again, we're not good at waiting in our culture. We've kind of lost the desire or lost the art for it. How many of you guys send a text message and you get frustrated and angry at the person if they don't respond in 30 seconds? You're like, what are you doing, you know? I've been ghosted, right? I, 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 where are you at, you know? Because we just aren't good. And so I've been working on slowing my response time because here's what I understand. That whenever I have a quick response, it usually is hurried, it's usually dismissive, it usually comes off wrong, right? And so learning how to respond in God's timing is an art of being able to follow the Holy Spirit and follow his voice. And so I'm, I'm working on that myself. Patience is the ability to respond and enter the timeline at God's moment. It's like when God gives you like a pocket of patience that you can step in at a perfect spot on the timeline of your relationship, of your life, of your calling, whatever it is. Let me give you an example of how this works in the area of sin. Have you guys have ever been tempted with a sin before and then all of a sudden there was like, as you're going towards this sin, there's an exit ramp, right, that you can take. It's like, I know I could keep going down this road and go into this temptation or I could take this exit ramp. Well, that exit ramp is produced by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. But God is faithful, and he will not, allow, and not, let, you to be, not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. That's the exit ramp, so that you may be able to endure it. How many of you guys will just admit that you have been in that situation before and you saw the exit ramp? I have. I've been in there many times. I see the exit ramp. The exit ramp that we're talking about here, the way of escape, is a moment produced by the Holy Spirit that we can choose to cooperate with it or not. Now here, it's the same with patience. Patience is a moment, or like I say, it's like a pocket of patience, a, po a pocket of patient moment that you can choose to cooperate with it in order to respond to somebody, to make a decision, to say yes to God's calling. It's like a perfect place on God's timeline, but we have to yield to it or not yield to it. And that's the perfect place to enter the timeline of decisions, opportunities, and of his purposes, but we still have to yield. Now, here's the problem. Many times we disagree with the Holy Spirit's placement of that pocket. And so what we do is we end up grieving the Holy Spirit by trying to make a decision outside of that. That's called impatience. But just like that exit ramp is there and it's available, so too is that moment of patience when it's the perfect timing of God to be able to make it. Now God's grace is still there and God's grace will cover it, but what we're trying to do is we're not trying to need more of God's grace. We're trying to be empowered by God's grace so that we don't have to come and, and get forgiveness of sin, but we can be empowered for his calling, right? And so we want to yield to that perfect patience. Let me give you an example of this in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11. And it says, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of God who through faith 
and patience inherit the promises. Faith and patience. Many times we think to follow God, it just takes faith. Many times we think to inherit promises from God, it just takes faith. Now, what's amazing about this passage of Scripture is it actually gives us context for what this faith and patience has to do with. If we keep reading, it says this, For when God made a promise to Abraham, okay, now it all starts to come together here. Abraham, when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Now, when we think of Abraham, what do we think of? He is what the scripture infers as the father of faith. But here it implies that it wasn't just faith that Abraham needed to obtain the promises. It was faith plus patience. It was faith and patience that needed to come together in order for the promise to come to fulfillment. Now, here's why this is important. Because, again, many of us think it just takes faith. Abraham tried to do it on his own way. Abraham, he, he missed that pocket of patience. And he was frustrated with where that patience was on the timeline. And so he tried to create his own patient pocket right there whenever he wanted. And it grieved the Spirit of God. And so one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible is out of Nehemiah chapter 6. And I have a lot of favorite scriptures, right? But one of mine is out of Nehemiah chapter 6. I'll read it to you, and then you'll see why, uh, as I explain why it's important. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. Now, you might be like, what's the big deal about that scripture? That's not a refrigerator verse. I'm going to stick on my refrigerator. Well, let me give you just a little bit of the context for that. Nehemiah was a guy who entered the timeline at God's perfect moment. And he was positioned and patiently waiting, and he was willing to say yes when God needed him to say yes. See, the walls of Jerusalem had been broken down for going on 150 years. I want you to think about what life was like for, for our country 150 years ago. That was a long time ago. I mean, try to just jog your mind back to history and to think how much has happened in 150 years. So the walls of Jerusalem had been broken down for close to 150 years, and yet it says they were rebuilt in 52 days. See, God, ha God is the God of and suddenlies. That what has been sitting dormant for so long, in one moment, God can do something we could never do in a thousand years. How many of you guys know that that's true? See, some of you right now are in situations that you've been in for a long, long time. I want to encourage you that God is the God of and suddenlies. It can turn around in one moment. I mean, the, the disciples are in the upper room and suddenly. I mean, we just go down the list of and suddenly, and suddenly, and suddenly. These walls being built in 52 days versus 150 years was basically an and suddenly moment. But Nehemiah was positioned so that when the patient moment came, he could enter the timeline on God's timeline and not his own. What I'm saying is that some of us, you may be frustrated to, and you may be tempted to pull back. You may be tempted to create your own moment. But I'm saying if you wait patiently, you can enter into God's moment. And when you enter into God's moment, it's a perfect moment. And God creates that there for us to step into. And we have to yield to that. And Nehemiah was positioned to recognize the window and act when it came. All right, number three is this. Patience is not just waiting it out. It's worshiping well. 
You see, sometimes we think we got to have patience, and that means we're just, you know, well, go back to that word, long-suffering, right? Like, I'm just going to suffer for a long, long time. And sure, there certainly is and can be pain and patience. But if we truly want to walk this out well, it's not just waiting it out, it's worshiping well. Now, some of you guys will know Pastor Bill Johnson uh, out of California. You know, his wife passed away, like I think it was a couple weeks ago. And three days after she passed away, he got up in front of his church and preached a sermon. I don't know how he did it, but he got up and preached a sermon. And in that sermon, he talks about something so key for us to understand. Because many of us right now may be going through dark circumstances. We may be going through a trying time. We may be going through times where it seems like it's not going to end, where we don't, we're frustrated. We don't know the answer. And so we feel, you know, we, we want to have patience, but how do we do that? He highlights something that we can do in this moment and the way we can do it that is so important. Remember, this is Pastor Bill Johnson three days after his wife had passed away, and he's sharing the raw thoughts about how he's responding to God in this moment. So let's take a look. None of us would choose loss, pain, disappointment, any of that stuff. I get that. None of us would ever choose that for ourselves. We wouldn't choose this for you know, your, your biggest enemy. I mean, it's just, you would just not, not do that. It's not something that any of us would gravitate towards. And yet, we, we don't have options at times. Yeah. And so what am I going to do? Yeah. Is God my friend? Yeah, but he was my Lord before he was my friend. Yes. And my friendship with God can only go where his Lordship has already been. I can't go in a friendship with God where I haven't gone in lordship. And one of the things that has been such a a valuable thing for us through the years has been the realization, and I, I, I I discovered this quite accidentally, uh, when my dad died, and many of you have heard me share the story, but when, when he died, I was faced with learning something I had never known at that level before, and it was this. I've just experienced loss, and I have just experienced loss. And the disappointment is huge. Pain is annoying. (laughs) It it is. It's just... The the questions, the what if, all, all the stuff, you know. But all of that pain, that that discomfort, that the questions, the all all the stuff, I'll never have any of that in heaven. I'll never have, I will be a worshiper for all of eternity. I will glorify him for all of eternity. I will bow before the lamb on the throne for all of eternity. I will declare his wonders. I will celebrate his greatness, his grace, his kindness for all of eternity. But I'll never have the chance to do it with pain. That's only in this life. 
And I want to give him the most priceless gift I can give him, and that is joy in loss. That is celebration in pain. That is giving up my right to understand. He gives the peace that passes understanding, which means I have to give up my right to understand, to enjoy the peace that he has purposed to give me. So to have, to grab your moments, you know, we get certain moments in life that they, we never get them back again. They're once, they come and then they're gone and I never have a chance to steward that moment again. It's, I get one crack at it. And uh, to take the moment of greatest pain or the great, greatest loss or the greatest confusion or whatever and just grab it and determine I'm going to do I'm going to do the best I can to give him an offering that costs me. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give him an offering that costs me something. I'm going to give him a sacrifice that I'll never have a chance to give him again. I get one chance at this painful moment. That's a powerful example, right? To understand that even in situations like that, that it's not about just waiting it out until we get to heaven. It's not just waiting it out until I get my prayers answered. It's about worshiping well in the moment. And he took hold of his moment. Now, there's a temptation. Whenever you're waiting on something, whenever you're praying for something, whenever you're believing for a circumstance to change, a relationship to heal, someone to come to Jesus, a prayer to be answered, a financial break, whatever it is, there's a temptation to make an idol out of what we're waiting for instead of worshiping who we're waiting on. And there's several problems with that. But the most practical problem is that if we make an idol out of what we're waiting on instead of worshiping an idol out of what we're waiting for instead of worshiping who we're waiting on, the most practical problem with that is that when you finally receive what you've believed for, now you need a new thing to worship. And this is why we move from thing to thing to thing. This is why we're never satisfied. Whenever you make an idol out of what you're waiting for, whenever you receive it, you need a new idol. Because that thing essentially has become some sort of God in our life that we've bowed down to worship. And so we have to be careful with that. And to worship well means simply letting go of control. You know, control is one of those things that I've recognized in my own life that whenever, I, whenever, whenever I'm unhealthy emotionally, whenever I'm unhealthy even spiritually, I find myself gravitating to try to control people and to control situations. And I used to not be able to recognize that. I used to just do it and just think, well, I'm just doing the right thing. But now at least I have revelation from the Holy Spirit many times about, oh, okay, I'm unhealthy right now because my gravitation is to control people and to control situations. And so I've been able to allow the Holy Spirit to develop that fruit of patience in me. But the, the need to control is simply a lack of trust in God or an attempt to become God in that situation. And so to be able to worship well means 
that I've got to release control. And so in my waiting well, I've got to worship well. Not worshiping for an outcome, but simply worshiping God as a sign that says, God, I'm not in control. I don't have to be in control. And I'm going to worship you simply as a sign of trust. I don't have what I think I need right now. I don't have the answers. I don't have the breakthrough. But I'm going to worship, not for an outcome. I'm going to worship simply as a sign that I trust you, that you're God, and that I am not. Now, when we were going through all that stuff as a family last year and the first part of this year, some of you guys will remember that. You know, my wife was in the hospital. My daughter then got in a head-on car crash collision the, the same time. And my son, the next week, he was uh, admitted into the hospital. And my dad, a couple weeks later, was in the hospital for several days. It was iffy with him. And it was just one, you know, one thing after the other. And that's just a small little piece of all the things that happened in a short amount of time. I just determined really quickly in that, I'm, that either God is who he says he is, that the word of God is what it is true, or it's not, that I can have the peace that passes, under, that passes all understanding, that can guard my heart and mind. And I'm going to yield to the steadfastness of God. And I decided I'm just going to yield to that. And I can tell you, and I can, I can testify that I experienced the peace of God, a steadiness, a restfulness, an unmovedness, if you will, no matter what came. Because God's word is true. That God's word is true. Now, is it okay to feel grief, sorrow, disappointments, frustrations, sadness at times? Yes. Jesus felt, let me just give you a list of some of the things Jesus felt. Jesus felt compassion. Jesus was angry. Jesus was indignant. He was consumed with zeal. He was troubled. He was greatly distressed. He was very sorrowful. He was deeply moved. He was grieved. He sighed. He wept. He sobbed. He groaned. He was in agony. He was surprised and amazed. He rejoiced very greatly. He was full of joy at times. He experienced all these range of emotions. And so in our quest to be like Jesus, I think sometimes we do overlook the emotions of Jesus that he did experience all of these things. God feels, and so will we. But we have to also be careful with this because emotions in and of themselves may be what they are, but emotions can be a gateway to other things. So we have to be careful that sadness or sorrow doesn't turn into a lifestyle of depression. We have to be careful that anger, you know, there's a way to be angry and not sin. We have to be careful that anger doesn't turn into bitterness or even, as Jesus alluded to, even possibly murder in our heart. We have to be careful even with something positive like joy, that joy doesn't turn into this pursuit of joy, doesn't turn into this pursuit of trying to constantly be happy all the time and seeking after pleasure. So what kind of, a, if you're in a situation right now, and many of you guys are in a wide range of situations right now, obviously, what kind of emotions are okay to have? And I would just say it this way. Whatever emotions Jesus would have in that situation, you're free to have. But the moment you cross into an emotion that Jesus wouldn't have in that situation, it's time to surrender my thoughts to Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to come into that moment. And to fill. See, sometimes we just think, well, I'm just avoiding emotion. No, whatever, Jesus had emotions. So whatever Jesus had, we're free to have. But the moment it crosses over into a place that Jesus wouldn't go in that situation, that's when we take our thoughts captive and we yield back to the Holy Spirit. But in the same way, just like these other things can be a gateway, I want to let you know that worship 
can also be a gateway. That when we're in our moments and in our waiting, worship can be a gateway into the promises of God. That worship can be a gateway into joy. It can turn into perspective. When you worship in the waiting, it can turn into trust. When you worship in the waiting, it can actually turn into opportunities. And that's an encouraging thing. So let me just close up with this as the worship team comes. It's a scripture that's been on my heart this week. And have you guys remember last week when I talked about um, how we don't water our tomato plants? You guys remember that? And don't water them because we don't want the roots to stay up on the surface. And so if we don't water them, we just let God water them, then the roots will go down deep, searching for some you know, deep sustenance. But sometimes it can get pretty iffy, right? Like sometimes you're at that moment, like with my tomato plants last week, when I was talking about that, they were starting to look like they weren't going to make it. And then what happened? I believe it was Sunday or Monday, the rains came. Have you guys remember that? And I was like, as the rain came, I was like, oh, man, it's like at just the right time. Like, I thought it was getting too far gone. But I was reminded of this scripture out of Hosea chapter 6. It says, let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn, and he will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains water the earth. And I thought, oh man, this rain is at just the right time. And I think sometimes when you're in a waiting moment or a waiting season, it's important for us to remember that it's at those just at the right time moments when you can look back at the faithfulness of God. Because every time I'm in a major situation, I'm very quickly reminded of all the at just the right times that God came through to me. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I thought, how are we gonna get out of this one? How am I going to pay that bill? How am I going to do this? How many of you guys can just say amen to that, right? Think about how many times you faced a situation that you said, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this one. And yet here we are. We've got a roof over our head. We've got food to eat. We've, whatever you want to fill in the blanks. Somehow God was faithful. And it's important for us to remember those at just the right times in our waiting. And one thing you can do, if you want to walk by faith, let me tell you something crazy to do to walk by faith. Whatever your situation is right now, think back to those at just the right times and now prophetically imagine this moment as one of those just the right times. Because one day you will be able to look back at this moment as one of those at just the right times. See, faith pulls the future into now and lives it now. That's what faith does. That's trusting God. And every single one of us can wait. In our waiting, we can worship well. And one of the ways we worship well is we thank God that this is an, at just the right time, even in the not yet. That's what people of faith do. So whatever you're going through, can we just take a moment to worship God in that way? Would you stand up with me and let me pray? And then we're gonna enter into a time of response. God, we thank you so much. Holy Spirit, come and develop this fruit in us, this patience. Lord, give us eyes to see, wisdom to have discernment. Lord, give us faith to be able to step out. But Lord, we want to walk in your perfect, we want to respond in our conversations, respond in our relationships, respond in our decision-making, respond in our following after you at just the right time. And Holy Spirit, we yield to you right now. And we want to worship well in our weight. And Lord, whatever we're going through right now, Lord, we, we just declare prophetically that 
One day we're going to look back at this moment and we're going to see one of you at just the right times. And we worship well right now in the wait. Between now and then, we worship well. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.